This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. I'm not trying to raise uh, grown children. You know, I'm trying to raise adults. And part of doing that is giving them the tools that they're going to need to be able to be, you know, be adults. And so me figuring out the answers for them, that's not actually going to benefit them in the long run. The minute I could like kind of shed that like realization of, or, or shed that like desire to sort of be the know-it-all and to have all the information and really embrace this, like, I definitely don't know the answer to that. Um, the fact the it was for us to get to fun and, and to get to a, a place where we all got to grow. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is totally in line with what we talk about on this show, and that is Actions Speak Louder with our esteemed guest, Deanna Singh. Deanna is a business consultant, speaker, and podcaster who is internationally recognized for her work in leadership, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Deanna helps her clients create more equitable and inclusive work environments and engage more authentically within the internal and external communities. She is a champion for marginalized communities through her work as founder and chief change agent of her organization, Uplifting Impact. Her podcast, also titled Uplifting Impact, focuses on solutions and is directed at people who want to break the status quo. Deanna is the author of American Girl's first ever advice book on race and inclusion titled A Smart Girl's Guide, Race and Inclusion, Standing Up to Racism and Building a Better World. And she's written several other children's books showcasing accurate reflections of what we see in our homes and communities by highlighting children of color. Her latest great work, which we'll be diving into today, is Action Speak Louder, a step-by-step guide to becoming an inclusive workplace. Deanna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to be here with you. So I watched your TED Talk, and you immediately brought me in uh, to your home growing up, which now that I know... I've learned what you do for a living. And I mean, this, your life's work started from day one, or maybe before day one, in your <laughs> home. Tell everyone about this beautiful family heritage that you come from. 
Absolutely. So um, I do come from a very interesting uh, family background. So, and, and I'm actually broadcasting live from the home I grew up in, uh, the home I moved into when I was, when I was five years old. Um, but my background is that my mom is African-American. So her family comes from a very small community, McGee, Mississippi. They came up north on, uh, my grandfather was following work on the railroad. So they made it up to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And my dad's family actually comes from a very small village in Punjab, India. So my dad is a Sikh American and he was the first in uh, the village actually to come to the United States. Mm. So they met um, and got married after just knowing each other for three months. But you can imagine, right? It's like, wow, that's amazing. But what makes it even more amazing is that they came from these wildly different backgrounds, right? So growing up in different places, eating different foods, having totally different religions. And the one that I think surprises people the most is that they didn't even speak the same language. Yeah. Uh, they've been married now for over 40 something years and um, mm. it's you know, and I was their, their first child. And so I really literally was born into this space where East and West meets and where everything on paper, you're like, wait, what now? Tell me that mm -hmm, again. <laughs> mm -hmm. Stop and pause. And I got to watch my parents build this beautiful life, um, you know, and raise us children in that, in that space. With lots of people in the home. Like you talk yeah. about 30, <laughs> 30 family members at like often, in the yes. same home, eating, living together. Right. So what, one of the things that was really important to my, my parents is when I was about uh, five years old, it was literally right when I turned five years old, we, we bought this home and it was for both of them, it was their first home, right? So it was a big deal. But one of the things that they had decided was that they wanted to open up the home to anybody who needed a place to stay. And so for them, what that meant was never saying no to anyone. And mm. we had not just family members, actually, there's sometimes we had just total random strangers uh, living in our home. And so until the time I went to college, uh, even though we lived in a three bedroom ranch house, right, this thing that my parents had sacrificed so much in order to, to buy this home, uh, we shared it with no less than 30 people. So there are people sleeping in the living room, in the dining room, in the basement, in all, you know, multiple beds and all the all the rooms. And my sisters and I actually slept at the foot of my parents bed until uh, I think about a year or so before I went to college. Mm, wow. Wow. And the the cultures, the bridges, as you talk about building bridges, which is a main theme of your work and life. I was wondering, your parents were such amazing role models. Um, it, did all of their families and the ones that came together as open-minded and inclusive as well? I guess, you know, when I think about the work you do, which we're going to get into, and moving people along the bridge from one side to the other... Did that bridge work have to happen within the family? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the things that's really interesting and one of the great advantages that we had as a family in our bridge building is that it was all built on this foundation of love, mm -hmm. right? So uh, the reward for us was that we got to get closer to the people that we loved and the people that they loved. And and so there was definitely this other incentive, right, that, that was part of the process because it was very, very confusing, right? For my family who's from India, doesn't speak any English, nothing like that, for them to come and be like, wait now, wh wait, what what do you do? Wait, what? what? So, mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you this is like regular for you? Like what, but why, why would you do that? Right. So everything we, we always got really good at like explaining the why, but, and then the other side too, right. My American family being like, wait, now we're going to eat our food like this. Wait, what? Wait, 
Wait, why? Mm-hmm. How are you doing? Right. And just all these questions. And so I think what it did was it prompted this very safe space um, to just to not make assumptions about like my way is better than your way, but really prompted an opportunity to ask a lot of questions. And so mm-hmm. the one thing that I would say, you know, was very prevalent with all the adults that I had the privilege of being able to be around was this idea of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. how do I stay curious? And doing that curiosity without judgment. Now, were there bumps along the way? Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. And so mm-hmm. this wasn't just a, a rose colored glass situation where everything was perfect and we were always right. But even in those moments of friction or confusion mm-hmm. or frustration, um, being able to see that it was still worth it, right. It was still worth it to try and push through was also a really awesome lesson. And, and I like curiosity. I mean, as I, um, looking back on your book and how much, how important that idea. And now I'm thinking about it is, I think you mentioned it a little bit, but it it wasn't like this bold, stay curious maybe, or maybe I'm missing it, but it's when I think of a theme throughout your book is to be completely open and curious and to ask questions and to question your no brainer type thinking that are, that are always come from bias. If we don't take a step back. Absolutely. I mean, we talk about it all, all of the time. Uh, we just did a a presentation a, a little while ago. And one of the things that we were talking about is that when you come into a situation and you come in and your mentality is that I'm going to win my way is the best way. And I'm going to win it's a very, very different thing than coming into a conversation or to a situation or something that's new to you and saying, I'm going to stay curious, right? Because when you have this win mentality, you put up your defenses, other people put up their defenses, right? There's this like, who's going to come out the victor. But when you actually come in and you're like, I'm just really genuinely curious, mm-hmm. not only is that fun, I mean, I just yes. think right, it's just more fun, um, but it also provides you the opportunity to learn and to grow. And mm-hmm. so- there, there's, there's a complete upside, right. To being able to be, you know, to have that curiosity, to have that creativity, to welcome that, that as like something that's fun, as opposed to being like, no, I have to go into every situation and prove that my way is the best way. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mm-hmm. for some of that growth mentality that we all need in order to be innovative and creative and, and think about the world in which it could be not necessarily as it is. Exactly. And it makes me think of the wonderful uh, Buddhist Zen idea of detachment from outcome, right? When we could just be present and put down all of these expectations and this this is how I want this to go, which is so much a part of business and our culture, right? How do I get this to move to here, to influence, to manipulate wherever we are on the continuum for this outcome? And it is the antithesis of the approach to really healthy inclusion and inquiry. Absolutely. I mean, just think about it, right? Like when you know what it feels like when somebody comes to you and they have, you can tell right from like a mile away that they already have an agenda and this is where it's going to end. And right. And what does that do? Does that make you feel like, Ooh, yes, this is something I want to dive deeper into. I want to get closer to person. I want to be vulnerable. I want to, no, it, you know, it doesn't, it, it makes you put up your guards too. So I just think that there's this amazing ripple effect that happens when you move with curiosity as opposed to. Mm-hmm. 
I was moved by your experience uh, getting on the bus at, uh, I think it was age five. Um, yes. Coming from a wonderful, cross-cultural, inclusive, loving, accepting family, affirming family environment. And then lo and behold, you have to go out to the real world where that family is not protecting you. And there you are in class and um, you get a uncomfortable, scary, sad dose of being other and being different. Yeah. So I tell the story in my, in my Ted talk, I talk about how it was the first day of school and I was super anxious. Um, mm -hmm. I've always been an anxious learner. Right. And so mm -hmm. I was really excited to go to school and then get on the school bus. And the very first thing that happens to me is somebody starts hitting me in the back, you know, and says a terrible joke, right? Like ter terribly racist joke. And, um, I was five. Right. So, but I, but it was, it was said in terms that made me understand like, Hey, you being a brown skin kid on, and the only one on this bus is not actually cool. It, it's mm -hmm. not like exciting and wonderful and welcoming as it was in my, in my own home. And having at that really, really young age, this moment of like, well, what do I do? Right. Do, do And and part of me just wanting to like curl in anybody who's been bullied understands like there's this part of you that just like wants to like e e evaporate, right? Like into thin air, mm -hmm. you just kind of want to disappear. Um, but recognizing even in that moment that there was a, this greater sense of responsibility that I couldn't let, right. I, I could either shine my light brighter or I could dim it. And dimming just didn't seem like it was going to be the thing to do. And so, um, so yeah, so I talk about that because I think that no matter where we are in our lives and really no matter really what our social identity is, I think one of the things that we have is a shared experience. And I think this is important as parents, right? To remember is that at some point you, me, our children have had a moment where they did not feel like they belonged. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that could have happened in any kind of, it's a universal human experience for some, yeah. it happens more than others. Mm-hmm but it is a universal experience. And so understanding that, that, that that's something that if we teach this to our children young, if we have, you know, these kinds of conversations in our workplaces that we can eliminate those, maybe not fully eliminate them, but minimize them. I will take it. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wants that feeling of like, Oh wow. Mm -hmm. no, I don't belong here. And people are making it really clear that I don't belong here. And you know, we talk a lot on this this show about increasing awareness as as individuals um, who happen to be parents um, with a really important job of raising these other these next generation humans, and how when our kids go through developmental milestones, challenges, traumas that we may have, or just being at the same age, how that in a very normal way can trigger us. Of course, the key is to be aware of that, but how normal that is. And so yeah. fast forward, uh, <laughs> your oldest of your two beautiful boys um, are about to get on the bus for the first time. And there was a visceral yeah, response, I right? Got, yeah, I got on the bus with them. <laughs> <laughs> but not at first, right? Not, not right at first. Uh, uh, I think I was, you know, kind of caught up in the moment of my son was going to school. It was funny because we're on the same driveway. Like we, we now live in the home. I think I've mm -hmm. mentioned this throughout yes. the podcast, but we live in the home that I grew up in. And so, uh, you know, same, literally the same scenario, bus comes going down the driveway, the whole thing. But now I'm not the child. Now I'm the parent. And 
just having this moment of like it all flooding back to me, right? Like what happened to me on my very first day of school, having somebody hit me on the back of the head and tell me that uh, the reason, you know, God made, what did God say when he made brown, you know, brown people? Oh, I burnt another batch, right? Like that whole scenario and story mm-hmm. and the sadness and the, you know, feeling of loneliness and just all the things like just rushed back to me in that moment. And I hadn't thought about it, right? It, it, it came back to me like a flood. Mm as the doors were opening, right. As I was right. watching my child approach the, uh, approach the building or the, the bus. Mm-hmm. That happens. That happens. And mama bear came out. You're like, I am getting on that bus. <laughs> but then that realization also, right. The realization of, okay, I can get on the bus. I can make sure he gets to school. Okay. And then I have to leave and there's still all the world and all the kids and all the biases and all that stuff. I think it should, the word should be, how are you managing that? Right. Because I have to tell you that it is, um, every day, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a different challenge at all the different ages. It, It presents itself in different kinds of ways. And so, um, honestly, I think one of the things that had to happen right away was just the recognition that, what I could do and where I could be the most impactful was really thinking about how I supported um, in different spaces around him, right? Mm-hmm. Our children have to experience the world in as they grow older more and more and more on their own, right? I think the word that I use, and it was really intentional, I used this word, curate. As they're younger children, we get to curate what their experiences are. As mm-hmm. they get older, we have less and less control over what mm-hmm. that looks like. And school is one of those pivotal moments. Like all of a sudden you go from spending all your time with me to spending, you know, not your majority of your time with me. That's a huge, it's a huge moment for many of our children, not all, but many of our children. And so it was just this realization of like, I can't do that. And so then the question became, but what can I do, right? Where are the spaces that I can show up? And so I think one of the big things was making sure that I could equip my sons and all the children, actually, that I have the the great joy of being able to be close to and in, in, in their lives, really trying to think about like, what are the tools I can equip you with? So I might not be able to go with you, but what are some mm-hmm. of the things that can go with you? And so that's what really led to me writing my very first book. I still don't understand when people are like, they introduce me as an author. I mean, yes, I've written six books now, but I, it still doesn't sink in with me, right? Because none of the books have come from like, I'm sat down, like I'm going to be an author. They right. all came from trying to step into spaces where I've had some experience or knowledge or made a lot of mistakes or whatever it might be. And then trying to use that as a tool, right? Like mm. use the, the the word and, and being able to uh, write as a tool. So the very first book I wrote was called I'm a Boy of Color. And honestly, I Googled, how do you write a children's book? Like I had no (laughs) idea how to do this, but I wrote it because I wanted them. And it's a book of like affirmations, right? But because I wanted them to have something that no matter what, something happened to my husband and I, or the, you know, other, they would have something that helped them decide what their PR was going to look like, right. Help them decide what their public relations look like, what their, what their messaging looked like, what their internal message and internal radio was going to sound like, um, that they were equipped with that. And it, the book started off as just like a little love letter for them, like a little mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. writing something to you to my own children. And it really morphed into, wait, this is actually how I feel about all of our kids, right? So <laughs> all of our kids mm-hmm. need these tools. How, how do we actually do this for, for all of them? How do we have the discussions with our kids about the reality, right? The reality of discrimination, of bias. And, and I imagine 
the conversation is a little different depending where you sit at that um, that table, right? I mean, in terms of, does one come from a marginalized culture, a minority culture? Does one come from a dominant culture? Um, again, that's just an assumption. Tell us, like, wh- how do you approach these? The very first thing I think it's important to understand is that your children already have impressions. So the research shows that at the age of three months, children are already making race-based decisions, particularly race-based decisions, right? Three but months. Three months. Mm-hmm. They can demonstrate, right, the, the difference in the choices that, that children are making. And so if you understand that, what you know is that it's not, and it's not just about race, right? It's also about, about ability, right? And it's about mm-hmm. um, gender and it's about just any of the things that you you want to put into those categories. We a very, very, very young age, start socializing our children to start making decisions and having opinions about these things. I think one thing is just the recognition that I think a lot of times people think, oh, if I talk about this or I bring it up, then I'm going to make it into an issue or I'm going to make it something that they're thinking about. Oh, they're already thinking about it just because based on human Mm -hmm. psychology and and, right, like our, our own biological processes. So that's one thing. I think one is just the recognition that it's already happening. I think two is another recognition that it's probably already happening, but in a vacuum, if you haven't created some of the space and place to have these conversations. And so what also ends up happening is that children might be coming up with ideas or having questions or doing whatever, but they're internalizing it or they're having conversations with their peers who also don't have a lot of grounding in what some of these realities are. I will tell you a story. Um, I have a couple, I mean, I have a million actually, I could tell you as a parent, but there was this moment, right. Where something happened in the news and um, my son probably, I want to say he was like in first or second grade, um, but he was young. And I remember this because I went to the elementary school the, the day after this happened. So uh, you know, middle of the night, um, he starts crying, right? Like in like that night terror crying, like the, one of the worst feelings, at least for me as a parent, one of the worst things that's ever happened is having to go through that phase, right? Where children, my children were having like these like night terrors. So I run into the room and, and then he's a great sleeper, right? So for the him, this was a very kind of unusual thing. So I run in the room thinking, oh my gosh, something has happened, right? Like what's going on? Are you okay? Like what happened? And, and he's, he's, so shooken up. Right. And then he says to me, Oh, uh, when he calms down, he says to me, well, the kids at school told me fill in the blank. Right. And uh, without Mm -hmm. going into all, you know, all the details of what happened, but what they said was a racially based commentary, Mm -hmm. uh, essentially about his grandfather. Right. So his grandfather is a turban wearing man. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so they say this thing to my son, you know, he's what, nine, eight, trying to process the six. Yeah. Six, seven, six, seven, trying to process this. And he has a nightmare, night terrors about it. So we go to the school the next day and, you know, I walk into the school building and my son is doing like a Lego club or something like that. And I'm, I'm the parent volunteer for the day. And there's another parent that comes in and she comes in. She's like, Oh, you know what my son said last night? He said, blah, blah, blah. And she starts laughing. Now the thing that she's laughing about is the hmm. thing that my son had night terrors about. Right. Right. Because his experience is like, this child said this thing. And when you said this thing, it made me think about my grandfather. Whereas when, you know, a child who doesn't have a grandfather that's a turban wearing man, right, never made that connection. And even his mom thought it was a funny joke. 
And so in that moment, right, you have to think like, it's not that our kid, so, so your kids might be the one who's making that joke or pushing the, you know, do not that they're, right. they even think that they're being a bully, but they are processing information without having any guidance. And so I, I think mm-hmm. one of the most important things that we can do is like just creating the space. And I always tell parents, you know what you should do when you're having these conversations? Don't talk, be quiet. Let your child actually lead you and just say, what do you, Hey, what are your thoughts about this? Mm-hmm. Ask them a question, and then be quiet so that you mm-hmm. can understand where they're starting from and what they're trying to process through. And so there's the, there's the situation when your child comes to you upset. And then as you find out more, you see where it came from, um, with some sort of discrimination and then the conversation ensues with you doing a lot of listening and trying to help them process. How about recommendations for bringing information to them, right? To inoculate them, to cure, to curate them. How do you approach that? Um, so actually, I think that those are the best, right? So when you think about what the percentage should be, um, hopefully you're not having those kinds of experiences, but we live in the world. And so mm-hmm. kids see the news and they, you know, hear what their friends are talking about at school or they read something, right? They're, they're experiencing um, or seeing something on social or, and, and they're, they're having questions. And so, yes, you definitely want to have the, the space for that. But I tell people, you should be having 95% of your conversations when it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion should be actually from a place of joy. <laughs> Because Hmm. when you think about it, when we are talking to our children, there's so many fun and simple things that you can do that really start the conversation on what are the positive things that happen when we're talking about diversity. And if we only are having conversation when some trauma has occurred or there's something scary or there's something, right? If we're, then we have now actually, even in, in that, we have created this space where it's like, oh, we only talk about it when it's awful right? Mm-hmm. We don't talk mm-hmm. about diversity when it's great. So here's some great examples, right? Uh, we're going to go to dinner on Friday. You know what I think would be really cool? Let's go and eat at a restaurant um, from, you know, that represents some other place in the world. Uh, why don't, you know, depending on your child's age, why don't you decide what, what restaurant we want to go to or what kind of cuisine we might want to have? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But before we go, hey, let's look at the menu. Let's just understand like what are, what's in these dishes? Where does this, let's pick one and decide like to do a little research to see where did this dish come from? Right. Am I having a question about like social political issue? No, I'm having a question about delicious food and who doesn't want to talk about delicious food, right? In our house, at least we will talk about delicious food. (laughs) Like (laughs) no problem. And so that's a form, right. Of actually having a conversation about inclusion. And so trying to find those moments of things that you're already doing, that you already do Mm -hmm. as a family, that you already experience. Um, One of the things that we'll do is we'll go to the art museum. That's, you know, a place that especially my husband like loves, loves, loves um, being able to just take trips to the art museum. And one of the things that we will do is we'll say like, let's go look at the special exhibit or let's go. Right. And as we go into those spaces, like, what is it that we can learn about either our own culture, right. From the the country that we come from, or what are some things that we can learn about some other place? Like, what does that look like? Let's Mm -hmm. all just go and look at one painting and, and talk about, you know, what was different during this. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't have to be like grand those things. This could be the thing that we already love going to the museum why don't we just find at least one exhibit that it that demonstrates or articulates an identity that maybe is not our own? I like that a lot. And this idea of coming to it from joy, from mm-hmm. if we're lucky, 90% of these conversations are related to education and opening mind and curiosity and 10% are due to 
a crisis, uh, a hurt, a trauma, yeah. right? Like we want that to be the small, we, we, and we don't want to just address things when there are those crises. Um, it's how to bring this into your life uh, regularly. And I have to make a quick food comment because I love food and thinking as, as you described your meals, I was imagining like you were constantly had the infusion of Southern cuisine and Indian cuisine. I'm like, you had yes. lots of tastes at your disposal at all times. And I still do. Coming to my house, you know, for Thanksgiving is like, it is like uh, having a, a world cuisine dinner because mm -hmm. you get a little bit of everything. And our, our family has become even more diverse, you know, over the years. Mm -hmm. And so it's so fun to watch people like, wait, what is this? Now, what is this? And what's that? And oh, that looks mm -hmm. delicious too, right? And all on one plate. Um, yeah. I, I yeah. think that food is yeah. the best ways to bring people together. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to go back or dig a little more about um, us being aware of ourselves and our own triggers when our kids may or may not be experiencing similar things that we did. Um, personally, growing up as um, Jewish in a non-Jewish area, I experienced a fair amount of anti-Semitism or might have been my also part of my sensitivity. I don't think my brother experienced it, my younger brother, the same way I did, but it's something that I really carried with me in a very quiet, hiding, other sort of way, you know, which leads one to try to like go fly under the radar, dodge certain things about your tradition. If you don't feel it's safe or you're going to be called out or teased. Um, and so then, you know, when my kids are growing up in a different area, I was wondering about that and I was be thinking about that. And I remembered having to like work through my own. Should I say something? Should I inquire? Um, it doesn't mean that they experience it too. So I'm just wondering about your own inquiry or what you suggest for your own inquiry in these situations. Yeah. So one of the things, you know, that we all, you know, know if we have multiple children that they're very different, right? They, they have different backgrounds, they're different ages, they have different kinds of experiences. And so one of the things that I try really hard to do, my husband also is to be really intentional about making sure that we are having conversations with, not to them. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the things that we will do is kind of think about, okay, how do we actually create the space? How are we intentional? How are we asking questions, not in an interrogation way, right? Like not interrogating. There's a difference between being inquisitive and interrogating. So making sure mm -hmm. we're asking the questions and then leaving the space for them to fill in what it is uh, that they, what they need. And so one of the things that I will tell you, um, uh, you know, we, especially kind of after uh, George Floyd was murdered and there was a number of other situations, right. That, that happened to us personally, um, we took our children on two separate walks, right? So I, this is what I did. And this is like real life practical. I hope this is helpful, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, very, very. Um, but we love walking. Like that's a big thing in our family. We can clock. If we walk around our block, it takes us exactly 15 minutes to do it. Um, and so we know like, I'm like, this is a nice short way for me to get an infusion of like, what's going on? What are you thinking about, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with my children? So um, I took two separate walks with my kids and it was fascinating, right? To see, to say like, Hey, there's a lot going on. That's all I said. There's a lot going on, right? In the world. There's just a lot happening. How are you? How are you feeling about all this? Like, what are your thoughts? 
only thing I asked. And to see how they went in very, very different directions, right? One of my children was like, yeah, you know, I've been trying to think about like what this looks like in my own life. Like, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of the kids around me don't even know like what's going on. Like, obviously your parents work in diversity, equity, inclusion. So like you are immersed Mm -hmm. in a lot of, you know, a lot of different work. They're like, you know, my, my parents don't really, or my, my, a lot of my peers don't even really have an understanding of what's going around. And so I have this feeling of like, what is my responsibility? You know, like what, mm-hmm. what is it that I can do? And that was a, that's a very mature conversation and question. Right. And so mm-hmm. that, that was just fascinating. And if I, I think if I hadn't made the space, I wouldn't have even known that that was something that he was wrestling with this sense of like, I have a responsibility. I'm not exactly sure how to show up amongst my peers. Mm-hmm. Really beautiful question. Right. Mm-hmm. And he said it in his own words, but that was what his question was. And so that was awesome. The other one, um, got a chance, I think, to really just say like, this makes me so sad. I'm so sad. And sometimes like, I really don't want to talk about anything that I don't want to talk about this. And I don't really know how or when I don't want to talk about it, but I do know that it makes me sad. And I want to get better at like being able to name that before it takes me down this pathway. Cause then I don't think I can do anything. And again, such a profound and smart thing, right? Like essentially I need to take about, think about my own mental health here mm-hmm. I need to be able to create some boundaries. Both of those conversations really came from, I, in as treating them as individuals, right. giving them this, asking the question and then letting them kind of fill in the gap of this is what, this is what I need, or this is what would mean be meaningful mm-hmm. to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Lots of li- like li- guiding and listening. Yes. Um, and even the guiding is a soft guide, right? It sounds like, you know, you're, you're, you're putting a, just, you're, you're asking a, a benign question of, yeah. to see where it goes. So you're not leading them in a sense where they are not at. You're letting them tell you where they're at. So then you can figure out how to uh, guide and mentor. Um, and I think, would you say that the mentoring, you know, you talk a lot about mentoring in the workplace and the importance of mentoring. Do you see the parent role in this as mentor as well? Absolutely. And I just, disclaimer, I also just want to make it really clear. I fail at this often. I mean, Mm -hmm. so I I don't want to give the impression that I like get this right. Right. And Mm -hmm. I'm I'm using examples of like the positive, right. But there are definitely been times where something has happened and I, and I, and I can feel it. I can feel it in my Mm -hmm. body. I can feel I'm being triggered. I can feel that I'm getting angry or flustered. And so one of the things um, that I learned by being able to walk alongside some amazing educators, right. Is this philosophy that we all have heard more than likely in school, which was uh, show me your work. Hmm. And so one of the things that I try to do is right. If I'm like in my feelings and I know that I am not ready to have this conversation without giving all of my editorial, like Mm -hmm. everything I want to say about it and sharing my experience and owning that space. When I know that, right, like I've practiced it enough and I failed, I failed enough too. We really want to make Mm -hmm. sure I'm clear about that. I Mm -hmm. failed enough and I practiced it enough to know when that's mounting. I will go and take myself for a walk, right? Like, let me just go ahead and get this out or let me go find another space where I can do it. Or I will say to my children, hey, look, I really want to process with you. I, 
I'm having a really hard time because this is a, because I've had an experience that's been really negative and I'm not sure that I'm actually in a place that I can make the space for you or right when I've already screwed up and saying, Hey, look, instead of asking you, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have like mm-hmm. gone on a walk with you and been quiet and asked you questions, but actually I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, And and I'm sorry for that. And here's, here's what was happening. And here's where I made a turn that I could have gone differently. And here's why, and here's my emotions. Mm -hmm. And so just being able to show them my work, I think has also Mm -hmm. been really wonderful. Right. So I think that that's, you know, and then kind of going to your question um, about mentorship. So one more story to tell you. Yes. Yes. But uh, so I get this phone call. It's on a Monday morning. And, um, it's the school and what do they say right away? I don't know. My our school, they say, this is not an emergency, but I'm calling to talk to you about something that happened at the school. And so it's the school uh, counselor. And she says, you know, I'm just really, really, really proud of, uh, your son. And I'm like, well, well, what's going on? You know? And she's like, well, uh, he came to me today and told me that an incident happened on Friday. And it was somebody who used a racial slur, right? Like in a really demeaning way. And, um, and then he, and this is what he did. He <laughs> came back, he went and talked to the person who had the, you know, who said the thing and, uh, you know, he told them how he felt about it. He told them how like it hurt. And then he also told them that he was going to come tell uh, me, you know, tell the school counselor, but that he really wanted to have the conversation with them first that, but he was going to come tell the school counselor because wanted to make sure that like the student understood that this was a real thing, but didn't hmm. want the student, you know, to get punished for it, but just to, a recognition of the fact that this was happening, right. That the school needed to know that this kind of behavior was happening. And I'm like, on the other end of the phone, like, wait, what happened now? Yeah, I mean, this yeah. month- and this happened this? Wait, yeah. who, yeah, who are you talking about? Right. So my child stood up for himself, mm-hmm. took the time he needed to calm down, approach the student and explained to the student, had a conversation peer to peer with the student, but also right. Raised it to the proper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could not have advised him to do it that well. If yeah. he had told me, I would have gone to the school. I would right? right. Like there's all right. different things. So now this is Monday morning. I have to wait till he gets off the bus <clears throat> to have a conversation about like, what's so, so wait now what happened? Right. Like yeah. so I had this phone call, you know, you want to tell me more. And my son said, see that face that you have right now, mom. <laughs> I was like, what face? What are you talking about? I'm yeah, super yeah. calm. I'm so collected. He's like, I know, but you are trying to restrain yourself. And I just felt like this was a moment for me to be able to show you that I'm paying attention, that I'm listening. Mm. Wow. Right? Not that this is a really good moment for me to learn, but also a really good moment for me to be able to make it a learning experience for somebody else. Wait, what? What, what a mature <laughs> soul. This is an old soul with, with obviously amazing parents. An old soul with amazing parents. Yeah. I, I take no credit for this, right? Like, but I'm just saying that, like, you know, when, when you're thinking about this mentorship and you're thinking about part of it is like, because mm-hmm. I got back to the day in kindergarten, he didn't need me. I needed him. Right. Like here I am thinking totally. that I'm going to step into this role and he's, and he's got this. Um, and I think that that, that whole component of like, yes, we are here to mentor them, but we also have to remember like the mentorship has to go both ways. We're also mm-hmm. here to learn. And I yes. said to him, I am so impressed with you, kid. Like, this is amazing. You did the right thing. It's a reminder to me 
of just how important it is for you to make your own way. Um, and thank you for telling me, you know what I mean? And thank you for having the grace with this other student. Yeah, that is, that is so cool. It that is, is cool. so cool. <laughs> yeah. Our kids teach us so much. Um, and I think that's also about curiosity when we can take that approach of, um, kind of putting the hierarchy aside and looking at our kids as other fellow humans who have their own paths and have so much to teach us. We, you know, it's just, again, it's being open. All of this, what we're talking about, inclusion, diversity, um, equity is about being open in all relationships and communities in our life to, to just be, I don't know everything. I don't have to have all the answers and, and to be present and to ask questions. Yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, I know when I, you know, my, my children, as they're getting older, like there was some kind of gravitas, right. To being like, they would come to me and ask me every question. And I was just this wealth of knowledge that could just pour information out. But that lasted for like 10 seconds, right? Because mm -hmm. as soon as they could make a complete sentence, they were asking me questions. I definitely did not know the answer to, right. Mm -hmm. And so instead of res like, like resisting that or fighting against that, Instead, really making that like a part of our, our dynamic as a family, you know, we, people ask, well, what's your favorite thing to do as a family or what do you, whatever. And my youngest was actually like, we really like to learn together. I was like, that's a really cool way to describe what it is that we try to foster in our home mm. idea mm. that like, yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question. Let's figure it out together. Let's, let's go and just look it up together. Like you find something, I'll find something, or let's go and, you know, look together and let's try and find that answer. To me, that's like, I'm not trying to raise uh, grown children. You know, I'm trying to raise adults. Mm -hmm. And part of doing that is giving them the tools that they're going to need to be able to be, you know, be adults. And mm -hmm. so me figuring out the answers for them, that's not actually going to benefit them in the long run. The minute right. I could like kind of shed that, like, realization of, or, or shed that like desire to sort of be the know-it-all and to have all the information and really embrace this. Like, I definitely don't know the answer to that. Right. Um, the, right. The faster it was for us to get to fun and, and to get to a, a place where we all got to grow. And, and the, this awareness of our own triggers, because as you pointed out, like, as your son knew <laughs> that <laughs> if he would have came straight to you and told you this, you yep. would have been like, mm -mm, uh -uh. let's go. Yeah, let's go. Right. And that's our, you know, parent response a, and also for any of us raising kids, uh, who are neurodiverse have special needs, um, are marginalized or have been marginalized or bullied. Like the list unfortunately goes on. We, you become, we become primed to defend, which is in our nature. It is in our nature and it's important. And this is a perfect example of asking the question, or this is a story that allows us to ask the question, what do we do when our child does come to us, A, B, and C? Should I, you know, like pause, breathe, take a walk? Should I act? Should I uh, take a break? Should I discuss it with my child? Should I ask him what he thinks about this and how he would like me to support and in what way, right? It's like trying to create this space. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's one of the 
most important things too, like about that, that experience and other experiences too, is just being able to say like, you know what? Good call. Good call, kid. Like Mm -hmm. that was, and, and thank you for that for me too. Right. Like you also were taking into consideration, not only your own, but you're also kind of thinking about me. That's, that's a lot. That's a very higher level thinking. Right. And Mm -hmm. to be able to say, okay, well now that situation happened, these are all the steps that you took. And I, the question I asked him was like two questions. One, is there anything that you would have done differently and why? Right. Mm -hmm. And two, at this moment, what is the best I could do to support you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was like, actually, could we just like cuddle for a little while? (laughs) Let's do that. Let's go. We can do that. Right. You have just been through this emotional roller coaster. You've held on to this for three days. Right. You did a super mature thing. I'm sure it was emotionally exhausting for you. Yeah. And now what you want me to do is not to, you know, go through that all with you again and make you repeat everything you said to the counselor. But no, what you want us to cuddle? Yeah, I can deliver. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. I love that that idea again that we often don't know what our children or our colleagues or friends need. We like it's simple and yet so profound to ask again to ask the question yeah absolutely and Mm -hmm. and then to embrace the fact that we have to respect what they've asked for right 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 and that yeah we're not mm -hmm. right we're not asking just because we're supposed to ask we actually have to listen and ideally act on the answer if we can right absolutely Yeah. yeah This parenting thing is pretty hard. It <laughs> is. It's not for the faint-hearted. Um, so that's the P word. I was going to say uh, the parenting P word. And the other P word I'd want to um, get your wisdom on, of course, is privilege. And how we talk to about privilege with our kids um, and the many faces of privilege, and and in your book, in your work, you t- I love your I love the symbolism of privilege as porcelain and privilege as is it Tali or Tali? Yeah, Tali. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, t- tell everyone a little bit about that, and do you use those same metaphors with your kids? So, in the book, I talk about this idea of privilege. Privilege is there's all these words that can very easily get hijacked, right? And so, one of the words is privilege. When we hear privilege. Nowadays, we automatically assume we're talking about white privilege. And one of the things that I try to really emphasize in the book and in the trainings and teaching that we do is that when we're talking about privilege, we're actually talking about something everybody has, right? Um, Is there white privilege? Yes, there is white privilege. Is there gender privilege? Yes, there is. Is there ability privilege? Yes, there is. Is there age privilege? Yes, there is, right? Uh, Is there the privilege of being and working in a place for longer than somebody else? Yes, absolutely there is. Is there a height privilege? Yes, there is, right? I could, Mm -hmm. everything that makes The list goes on. Yeah. yeah, everything that makes up who, a language privilege, right? There's all these different things. And what's interesting about privilege is that it changes from one context to the other, right? So I could go into one room and I could be the most senior person in that room and have the most pedigree and do, right? And so like all these things would be my privileges. I could go to the next room and all of those things would be the inverse. I could be the youngest person in the room. I could have the least amount of pedigree. I could have the, right? Like, and so literally like all day long, if we had a privilege like scope that was going, it would just be fluctuating all over the place, right? You couldn't even graph it because it would be, it would be so all over the place. 
And the reason why I really want people to not shy away from the word or not, it's not even about the word. I I care less about the word, but to shy away from this concept is because shying away from it doesn't actually do any good for anybody else. And so I talk about privilege. When you talk about privilege as porcelain, this idea of porcelain is that it's beautiful right? Porcelain is like something that you hide away. Uh, if you have it, sometimes you don't want to tell people that you have it because you might be kind of embarrassed by like the fact that you, most people inherit their, their porcelain, right? You don't eat off your porcelain. You just take it down to, to scrub it and, and, and then put it back on display, right? Like that's how mm-hmm. we do it. And if mm-hmm. we treat, if we treat privilege like that, like, oh, we don't talk about it or, oh, we only just take it out when we want it and we don't, right? It doesn't, it actually doesn't do any good. But the, the opposite of that is thali, and that's what we ate off, um, and we still eat off of, right? Like mm-hmm. I, for, for many of our family meals, it's like this um, like metal plates. They're banged up. The more banged up, the better. Like it doesn't really matter. They're meant to be communal plates, right? So when we would be children, like four or five of us would be eating out of the same one. Um, they've dense. It's just it, thali is only valuable in as much as it's used. So the difference between porcelain mm. and thali is that thali doesn't get put up in a right. It gets used, and so what I talk about is that if you understand what your privilege is, then you can actually use it, and you can use it to benefit other people. And so mm. if I understand, like one of my privileges is that for some reason people put me in front of microphones all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And so I spend a lot of time talking to other groups, and do, that is a huge privilege. What do I do when I get that microphone? Mm-hmm. When I get the microphone, I try to raise up, right? Groups yep. that are often marginalized. That is how I use my privilege. So yes. once we recognize it and we own it, we know it, then we can actually do something with it. And so that's one of the things that we try to really emphasize mm-hmm. with our children too, mm-hmm. is what are the experiences that you have that may be different than some of your other counterparts? And how do you think about that privilege, not as something that you're pretending doesn't exist. That doesn't actually help. But how do you use that privilege as an opportunity for you to serve others? Mm-hmm. And that mentality, whenever we see our children doing that, like that, you talk about yeah. these moments, your breath away, right? Like that moment, yeah. the story I just showed you, or just told mm-hmm. you, that is my son, right? Being like, I have the privilege of having two parents to do this work. I have the privilege of being in a safe environment. I have the privilege of being able to go to a school where I can talk to a counselor. I have the privilege of my social status, which allows for me to have a conversation that might be really awkward for other people in my peer group, right? And I'm going to use that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's- yeah. I love that. And it reminds me of the story you told in your book about, um, I believe, a colleague of yours who it was um, after George Floyd's murder and all of the protests and she uh executive on a higher floor in an office building and she's like i'm ready like i'm let's go she goes down you know give me a sign give me i'm ready to, i'm gonna i'm investing in marching like every day and i believe it was a minister or a pastor right. who was part of the movement <laughs> said no 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 we need you <laughs> we we need you up there like look at all these people down here everyone's important and it's how do you use in a sense your privilege to help this cause from where you sit absolutely profound that was profound like there's like to look at how you can use it strategically absolutely and and the minute that you start to realize that and you actually understand it it's not i think there's like this like dirtiness to it right am i is that something that's inappropriate the fact of the matter is it's happening all day long whether you know it or not, you were doing it all day long. You just might not be doing it to the benefit of others. And so mm. I just think just taking that extra lens, right, of yeah. how am I doing it and 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 adding to it, like, how can I take this privilege to serve others? Mm-hmm. It will lead you down so many beautiful paths. It's unbelievable. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. 
the paths that that can lead you down. And and I and I love the nuances about talking. Uh, it, well, being aware ourselves of our privilege and talking to our kids about privilege, like this isn't black and white, um, you know, figuratively and metaphorically. This there are so many layers of gray uh, that in this thing that we call privilege and knowing as you said where we how we are in one environment is going to differ from another context and this level of awareness about what we bring and how we're perceived and how we can use our standing for the benefit of others absolutely and just knowing that like if you do that what a transferable skill that is Mm-hmm. Right. Just what a transferable skill that is. And, and, you know, I could, again, I could give you countless stories. I, even when, so my youngest, right. Yeah. One of the the moments, again, please excuse all these parent brags, but, Man, but you're on the, you're on the right, you're in the right, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. We're all yeah. kids. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of my, my, my youngest son, he came back from school one day and he was like, yeah, you know, mom tomorrow. Uh, and he, I think he was first grade. Yeah, no, he's absolutely first grade. He comes back and he's like, tomorrow we have a new student who's going to start in the school. And I was like, oh, okay, right. Just set it in passing, new student who's going to start in the school. So I don't pay any attention. You know, I mean, he just mentions, I think he was at the dinner table or something. So then the next day he goes to school and um, he comes back and he says, oh yeah, you know, today I got to talk to the new the new kid that came to school and, you know, we played on the playground, this and that. I'm not thinking anything of it, Right. So a couple months pass and, um, he asked, I know it was probably towards the end of the year. So he asked for a play date with this young man. So the young man comes over and his mom comes over. And that is when I first learned English was his second language. Mm. So my son had, without talking to me, without telling any of us that he had done this, had been learning these little bitty words like hola and como estas and just <laughs> like little phrases in Spanish so that he could communicate with this little boy. Mm-hmm. Now, when you think about that, right? What was my son thinking? What was his process? Was he like, oh, these are my privileges? Not necessarily, but he understood, one, I've been in the school since I was little, right? I know all these kids. My older brother goes to school here too. Two, I actually, um, I have access. I can like learn anything I want to because of the interwebs, right? Like I can get out here and get mm-hmm. anything. Two, Three, I kind of put in my mind, like, what would it feel like if I came someplace and I English wasn't my first language and I was a new kid and I was this and I was this. And so I'm going to take the privilege that I have of being able to have an iPad that I can learn a couple words on and being in a school, right? And I'm going to use that to actually build a friendship. And as his mom was talking to me, she's like, your son was the first one to talk to my kid. And mm-hmm. I'm so grateful, right? Like this whole thing. And they're still really good buds, right? But it's just mm-hmm. like... Yes. If we model that, our kids will do it even even more and they'll do it even better. Yes. And that's the thing, the modeling, right? It's like being being how we want our kids to become, really, is really like showing it, showing it every day. And they absorb all of it, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. So like let's let's try to be mindful about the good stuff that we're trying to model and embody it in a genuine way because they know the difference as well. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that is a great story. Um, and those are wonderful. Um, I know you're being very humble about not taking credit for it, uh, them, the, these situations. Um, but I want to reflect back to you. It is a product of who they are. It is a product of who you and your husband are and how you live your lives. And it's just, there is no better feeling than to see our 
kids being good humans. I think like that's as good as it gets. Oh my gosh, you're right yeah, about that. Yeah, like, yeah. I get chills even, you know, just yeah. even thinking about it. Like, I always tell them one of my greatest blessings is being able to have a front row seat to all of the wonderful things that you will do in the world, right? Mm-hmm. That will far exceed anything that I could imagine or that I could do. And so to play a little part, even just as like a primary spectator of, mm-hmm. of what you're going to do and the things I already have learned from you, like it's, um, it's quite the honor. Yes. All right, Deanna, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. Here we go. (laughs) Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kids, and or those you love. Absolutely. So um, when I gave birth uh, to my first child... Um, we have, because we have this really big extended, you know, family and friends of family. Um, I was in labor for over 24 hours. And by the time I was ready to deliver, there were, or actually in the first, in the first 12 hours of my son's life, there were 72 visitors at the hospital. (laughs) So when I talk about, right, this was an intense time. So 24 hours of labor, 12 hours of visitors after that. And, um, many of my family, I want to say it was probably like 25, 30 of them had stayed for almost the entire labor. I was, the, you know, the, as the wow. oldest right. family and all that, they closed down a whole waiting room and it was just my family, right. Mm-hmm. At waiting, waiting for this baby to be born. And, um, everybody was so excited and, you know, and everything. And when they let my, my parents come into the room, so baby was born and, and all of that. And, uh, they let my parents come into the room everybody in went, you know, my husband is holding the baby and everybody went towards the baby, but my dad came to me and I have this picture um, that somebody took and my dad is leaning over the bed, looking at me. And there's this like glow kind of happening between the two of us. And even Mm. without the picture, that's exactly how I remembered it. Because I think in that moment, I just realized like, that's my baby that's over there, but I'm his baby. Hmm. I'm even tearing up thinking yeah. about it, right? that he would come to me first. And I wow. remember thinking, oh my God, there's somebody in the world that loves me the way that I love this child. Hmm. What an amazing, what an amazing thing. And I, you know, I've always felt like, you know, that my parents like loved me and, you know, and all mm-hmm. those things. But I think, I think in that mm. moment of becoming of becoming a parent, but recognizing that I was still a child. Yeah. Um, at the same time. At the same time. That's beautiful. And uh, man, I am noting that for uh, who I go visit first with my girls when, <laughs> when if and when this time comes. Uh, it's really special. Really special. Yeah. Deanna, thank you for sharing yourself. Um, you're so uh, approachable and connectable, and in your talks and in your book, that's um, I know you. I know you are being you, and it is part of your. It's part of your gift is being just so real uh, and vulnerable and authentic in a way that invites all of us in to have these very important conversations. Um, 
and to lean into them. Oh, well, thank you so much. It really is. Um, I feel very fortunate that I get to do the work that I feel very purposed to do. So I'm glad that that resonates with you because it is, it is, it literally is everything yes. that encompasses my heart. <laughs> and I can see it and feel it. Um, and, and hear it. Um, <laughs> Great. So tell everyone um, your books, your latest book, your um, all of your videos, your training, how they can find all of the work you're doing. So the best thing to do is actually go to our website. It is upliftingimpact.com. And there you can see all the stuff that we do. We put a lot of resources out. Our One of our, our big philosophies inside the organization is to give graciously. And I think that uh, the people who come you know, to our site actually see that. If there's something that you heard or you have a question or you want to just stay connected, um, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn because I've found that there's just a beautiful uh, community of human beings trying to be better human beings there, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but you can also find me on LinkedIn. So just go to my name, Deanna thing and would love to continue the conversation there. Awesome. Thank you, Deanna. Thank Appreciate you. It. Everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for your five-star reviews. They really matter. And please, please, please send this show to everyone you think will benefit, learn, and grow. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by Pro Tunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.